Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. Yeah, there's there's no question to know. David Lean. And you were the uh, head chapter leader of Colorado VHA? Clay Hayes. Uh, well, I got stalked by a mountain lion, uh, made a fishing pole out of a lodgepole pine. Falconry and bird dogs, can they coexist? Oh man, and do they. Shitty weather and lots of bears. That's what this podcast is about. You made a point when you get up in those high basins and the thunderstorms come rolling in. That's how I got into trail running. Some people are just wired that way. So Lee, have you ever had something so crazy happen to you in the woods that you brought it back to camp, you tried to tell people about, and they just didn't believe you? I have, yeah, a few times, and it's hard. Like, how do you make people believe something that is actually crazy and actually happened but sounds so ridiculous? Well, I'll tell you. I got the perfect situation for you right here. Here at Seek Outside on this podcast, we are going to be doing a blog writing contest. We want you, our listeners, to write a blog post about the craziest outdoor experience that you have ever had. Yeah, so... We're going to be doing a podcast on December 1st, where we will pick the top three and read them. And we're going to be picking the winner on that podcast. So you got to listen to make sure that you've won. It's going to be live. And guess what? The best part is the winner is going to have their story published on our website, as well as they are going to win a Seek Outside Silex tent. That's awesome. Pretty dope. Yeah. So to win this, we're going to base it on three kind of judging criteria. Um, The craziness of the story itself. Is it life-threatening? Did you have a close encounter with wildlife? Did you have a close encounter with aliens? Uh, Was there there some sort of natural phenomena that happened? Stuff like that. Also, believability. Um, Because we're asking for crazy stories, we want to see photos. Now, these don't have to be professional photos that you've taken with a $3,000 camera. They can be scans from a disposable camera for all we care. We just want to see something, right? Some proof. Uh, And then lastly, writing finesse. Um, So we're talking, you know, full sentences, the whole nines. They don't have to be super professional, but um, readable for sure. Exactly. We're not asking for Cormac McCarthy, but just something that, you know, we'll grab a listener and be able to live on our website forever. Um, okay, guys, if you want to submit your crazy story, make sure you send the story um, to an email address. That email address is going to be podcast at seekoutside.com. In that email, make sure that the subject is believe it or not, and then your name in parentheses after that. And we will take a peek at all your guys' entries. And again, December 1st, we're going to be doing a semi-live podcast announcing the winner, giving away a Silex. So make sure that you, uh, you write it and you write it good. All right, guys. Enjoy the podcast. Can't wait. All right. This is Ryan Sapina with the Seek Outside podcast here. I got Tanya Henderson with the Western Slope Conservation Center uh, on the other headset here. We're uh, 
taking some time to sit outside and enjoy the beautiful fall weather that we're getting here in Colorado. Uh, so if you hear a few trucks going by, that is the reasoning for that. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about local Colorado stuff, and um, I'll let Tanya give you an intro into what she does over there at the Western Slope Conservation Center. Um, but just want to talk about conservation, um, a couple things that are happening here in Colorado that also may pertain to anybody that is listening to this that may want to come out to Colorado for hunting or mountain biking or backpacking or whatever. So, um, Tanya, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Ryan, for having me. No problem. Um, Western Slope Conservation Center, like you said, we're an environmental nonprofit based out of Paonia and have worked a lot in the North Fork Valley and then beyond. Um, and yeah, anything conservation related is something that we're interested in and advocating for to make sure that we have the lightest touch on the land in the most sustainable way so that all the things that you and I love about being able to go outside and experience, you know, all this amazing natural beauty that we have out here in Colorado is preserved for the generations moving forward. We have a really great opportunity now with the uh, commonly known GMUG plan, or sort of maybe affectionately locally known GMUG plan, but it's the the Grand Mesa, Uncompadre, and Gunnison National Forests are all managed as one big unit. And every national forest has to go through um, planning processes on sort of a regular, it's supposed to be a regular time scale. It's been about 30 years since we've had a revised forest plan or an updated forest plan for the GMUG, the Grand Mason Compadre, and the Gunnison, which surround us all around here in Grand Junction. And then we're based in Paonia, which is, you know, a short hour and a half car ride away, but we're still surrounded by the same national forests. And so it's a, it's a huge chunk of land. Um, it's the largest. So there are three forests, but they're managed as one unit, and it's the largest management unit for the National Forest Service south of Alaska. Really? So, wow, yeah. Yeah, so it's a pretty important process that's going on now. And there's a lot of people that come out here and use the land. And we want to make sure that all of those users have a voice in, in this forest planning process. Um, and so as a, as a conservation group, obviously the values that we think are the highest, the strongest, the best are for conservation and science so that we can maintain the ecosystem services that we have in the headwaters in these mountains. And also so that we can you know, be the voice that wildlife needs so it can be able to sustain itself. So we need to have large habitat patches to maintain the herds that we have out here. And we need to have some wild backcountry to make sure that the land is, you know, not just for us as humans, but for other species as well. So, yeah, yeah, it's a a cool time. Oh, it's awesome. And I mean, it it definitely is coming in a good time. Uh, because I feel like just here in Colorado, we're especially feeling it. You know, you talk to anybody, you go go out in the summer, on the weekends, anywhere, whether it's, you know, the most remote camping spot up on, you know, in the Gunnison, or if it's just right up here on the Grand Mesa that's super easily accessible, there's going to be people there. And, uh, you know, especially with uh, with roads and just the explosion of the outdoor, you know, people wanting to get out, which is awesome. But I think we are at a point now where we need to start to manage it so that, you know, the reasons why people go out there, uh, you know, 
we basically need to make sure that Colorado doesn't get loved to death, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I think, so how many, how many acres do you know, how many acres or square miles the, the G-Mug is? I should probably off the top of my head, but I ah. don't off the top of my head. It's a lot. I'm, I'm sure it's a lot. Yeah. I was, I was looking just, you know, for, for hunters, um, because I know that's a lot of our listeners here. Um, it's basically like, there's like 15 or 16 units that if you were to come out here would be affected by these plans. So um, could you kind of lay out what, uh, what some of the um, revised plans are for it? I know that there were, uh, you, you guys wanted to limit some of the road access, kind of make it more of some places more wilderness. Uh, what's, what are you guys' thoughts on it? Yeah, um, so we obviously would like to see so the Forest Service, through the planning process, can't designate wilderness per se. Mm. Um, that has to be a congressional designation. So that has to actually be a bill that okay. gets passed through Congress. But the Forest Service has a huge role. And uh, obviously, like if the Forest Service recommends that something become wilderness, then it's far more likely to happen than if the Forest Service opposes it becoming wilderness or is apathetic about it becoming wilderness. And so one of the opportunities that we have in this planning process is to ask for the forest. We recommend for the forest to recommend to Congress to designate new wilderness. That, and wilderness is just, it's a designation that gives the utmost level of protection. So in a wilderness area, there won't be new roads that'll be created. Um, and it'll be managed primarily for wilderness values. So there won't be structures that go into wilderness. There won't be um, recreation, you know, can still occur in wilderness, but it isn't the primary driver of how that land is managed, you know? So there aren't going to be like a ton of new cross-country ski trails cut, or there's not going to be, you know, a ton of mountain biking trails that are placed in wilderness. So wilderness is essentially like the cream of the crop as far as land protection. Um, and as a conservation organization, that's something that we're interested in it's something that you know some people think is more difficult to manage because it does just by virtue of the fact that there aren't new structures and there aren't new infrastructure that goes into wilderness areas it can be difficult to access but that difficulty to access is also you know like you're saying you go anywhere and you see people where there's access to places you're going to have people and so one of the charms of wilderness is that it remains somewhat inaccessible to people yeah, you know, yeah. which is kind of kind of nice to keep yeah. those areas um, intact and functioning, because there are things that nature do for us that we don't even know that it's doing for us. Exactly. Yeah, and I think it's a balance. You know, conservation is, you know, obviously you want the I think the main selfish reason for having conservation is because people want to use it, right? You right. want or you want your kids to be able to use it, but uh, there's also got to be the aspect of you know, but we can't think about ourselves first. We got to think about, you know, the elk herds that move through here and, and, you know, the bears and mountain lions or whatever else uses that, that space there. So, um, it's, it's an interesting balance, but I think, I think you guys definitely have a lot of support being out here. And something I just wanted to talk about was, um, you know, I think a lot of people get, caught up in you know with conservation with the big organizations you know whether it's uh 
backcountry hunters and anglers or the Sierra Club or, you know, any of those big nationwide units that, that do conservation. Um, but there's so many organizations like you guys across the country where it's just you guys are really planting your flag in one area. And I think that's super important for conservation. You know, you got to have the, the big organi- organizations with the big money to go up to, you know, Capitol Hill in Washington and really fight uh, for the for the overarching plans and, and designations and stuff like that. But then we got to have people like you guys who are just like, I'm going to focus on this little area right here. So do you have experience at, at the bigger level or is this your first conservation job? Well, so I, I've i come up through conservation sort of from like a trail work background all okay. the way all the way up now. And I worked previously before I came out here to Colorado um, at an organization out in the California desert, sort of California, Nevada desert. And so, yeah, which was also another local grassroots organization. And I think that the role of grassroots organizations like the Western Slope Conservation Center what we bring to the conversation is sort of a local area expertise, you know, like Sierra Club and Center for Biological Diversity and a lot of those larger groups, they do one thing, you know, or a couple things really well. They have a lot of values that they know exactly what they're advocating for and broad strokes across the board, which is great. We need those voices out there. But I think something that Western Slope Conservation Center has done in the 45 years that it's existed has given a really strong local voice you know so some of some of the things that we've advocated before in the past and some of the partnerships that we've made in the past are partnerships that the CR club probably would never make you know we've in the past worked with people that we might have you know had standoffs with you know and and might in the future and might have yeah. before that but you know what what we're interested in is a commonality and like what's gonna be the most productive thing for the most sustainable future in the North Fork Valley and beyond, you know, so the sort of watersheds that we work around are the North Fork of the Gunnison, but also the Uncompadre River, you know, so it comes all the way out here to Grand Junction. And then you have, you know, lots of counties that are involved and you have certain parts of certain counties, you know, that there are certain parts of Gunnison County that are more like Delta County because they're really far from the seats of power in Gunnison. And, you know, the people that use those lands are probably more Delta County folks. And, the you know, so there's yeah. natural boundaries have never, like, sunk in and aligned really well with our sort of political boundaries. And yeah. so I think a group like Western Slope Conservation Center can keep those sort of ecosystem views and look at an ecosystem as a whole and then be that connective tissue between the people that use the land and the decision makers whose decisions affect how that land, you know, looks and how that land will be used in the future. And yeah. I feel like the GMUG forest planning process is sort of a perfect example of that. You know, like there's a lot of wonky folks out there who know exactly when a forest planning process is coming up or, you know, we just got done with this sort of a decade going through the BLM, you know, um, resource management plan out here as well and so there are lots of folks that are keyed in and tuned up to help and send resources to be part of those planning processes but they're not necessarily the people who know you know sort of the rhythm and the change of seasons and like 
which corners are used by which groups and yeah. all, all of those sorts of things. So we try to we try to bring that to the table. And there's tons of people in local chapters of some of those larger groups, like backcountry hunters and anglers. Like they know the land in a way that we don't know the land. And so I think one of the things that we really pride ourselves in doing is being able to bring lots of people to the table and kind of have those discussions and figure out where the priorities are and where the overlaps are and you know, how we can move forward with some sort of consensus because it's really easy to object to people when you're not sitting across the table from them, right? Yeah. Now, I was going to ask, so you guys do kind of partner with other organizations. If I I could see that being very beneficial to get, you know, even just something like this, if you get, you know, some of the guys from bigger organizations on on board, it can really – Pull oh, some weight. for sure. Yeah, we're we're a pretty small organization. We yeah. have three staff members. You know, like, <laughs> that's pretty crazy. Um, and we and we try to do a lot, but we could not we could not exist without the help of the community and of folks who you know who want to collaborate. Like I think that that's one of the cool things about conservation is that a lot of people care for a lot of different reasons, and when you can get them all at the same table and everybody can talk about the ways that they love the land, we realize we have more in common than oh, we yeah. do, you know, not in For common. Sure. Like anybody who loves to be out on public lands wants to make sure that what they love about being out on public lands is available to their kids or their nieces or their grandkids, you know? And so like we want to facilitate and make sure that that happens so that people don't start to think that public lands are this sort of partisan thing. They're not. They're all of ours, right? Well, it's the one thing, like, nowadays that's not really partisan. You know, maybe there's a few outliers here and there that, you know, just want to be able to run cattle without having to pay on BLM or National Forest or, like, the the opposite side of the spectrum there. But I feel like, and you talk to anybody nowadays, especially with the rise in outdoor recreation just across the board, I mean, getting something like that, you know, the the G-Mug or any of the big outdoor alliance acts that have been passed in the last 10 years like seem to be just passing with flying colors you know it's just a matter of working out the details and stuff like that so i think it's it's pretty awesome that that we can be involved in one of the things that is less divisive nowadays it's pretty cool yeah which is great and i mean of course we'll find things to disagree with each other on even within that as time moves on because that's human nature but for now like i think there's a huge consensus that the value in our public lands at some level is no longer necessarily in how they were valued when they were founded you know and i think the forest service is a really good example of that the forest service was founded to provide forest materials as a service to the public good. You know, it was essentially our backwood lot as a nation. And I think that as we've gone through like hyper-industrialization, that's no longer the greatest value that the forest service lands can provide. And so I think, you know, this is a really interesting time and a really interesting opportunity to hopefully have a voice and a plan that could set kind of a tone and a precedent for other forest plans moving forward. I mean, we have an administration that supports initiatives like 30 by 30, which is the idea that we conserve 30% of the lands by the year 2030 so that we don't find ourselves at a climate crisis tipping point. Mm -hmm. So we have a finite amount of lands that are still rather unencumbered, Mm -hmm. you know, that are still 
pretty pretty functional and and somewhat wild um and we'd like we'd like to see how much of that we can keep functional from sort of an ecosystem scale yeah and there's a biologist eo wilson who has posited the theory that if we can't conserve 50 percent of the wild lands that we still have on earth by the year 2050 we will have gone over a tipping point and there's not a lot there's not a lot of effect that we can have on climate change once we get beyond that point that we sort of need to have this cushion mm-hmm. of you know wild places and open spaces to prevent us from going over the edge yeah. so the biden administration has adopted this 30 by 30 initiative which we think is great we don't necessarily see it reflected in the draft plan that the forest service has released for the gmug and really? so we think that that's something that as people write comments, and the comment deadline is November 12th. So for all of these plans, there's public input periods and usually 90-day public input periods. And so we're in the middle of the public comment period for the GMUG plan. And I'd recommend folks like pop on the Western Slope Conservation Center website and we have some pretty strong recommendations for, and because like I said, we're a group that tries to seek consensus Um, and wilderness can be a bit controversial. We've also recommended certain special management areas. So designations that aren't necessarily wilderness, but that might give some of the benefits without some of... (laughs) Flying by. (laughs) Right, yeah, nice. Um, But like special management areas that might give some of the conservation benefits that we seek when we advocate for wilderness areas but that might not have some of the more objectionable access issues that um, pose management problems. So, you know, trying to come up with different designations and different ways that we can view the land and different perspectives. And um, so it, it can get, you know, sort of the minutia can get really complicated, like what particular recommendation for what particular area, but check it out. And then there's also, we were part of a planning process to help inform the the draft um, plan before it came out that we really, really sort of had hoped would be more effective. There were a, a, a coalition of groups that got together to come up with a community conservation proposal that we had hoped would be reflected more in the final draft plan. Um, and we just didn't end up seeing that as much. And that is available on GMUG Revision dot com is just okay. a site that the coalition put up together um and you can see all the groups that sort of had a voice in forming that community conservation proposal and so there's a lot of a lot of things in that proposal that we'd still like to see in the final plan and so those are those will inform some of the comments that okay. we'll give yeah um we're also going to have a comment writing workshop and session on October 28th. So um, it'll, you know, com- uh, exactly where it'll be is to be determined. There'll probably be a hybrid option so people can attend remotely and okay. just monitor yeah. the situation to see if there'll be a physical um, workshop, probably at the office. Um, but yeah, show up in a Halloween costume if you want to, hang out hey, with us for go. an hour and a half. And, you know, because there's, it's, it's a government process and so there's lots of, 
very clear rules about how things need to be done and expectations in the comments. Um, one of the things where somebody will write comments and then, you know, a plan will come out and they'll think, well, my comments weren't addressed. Like I'm not being listened to. And there's certain things that make comments more or less substantive and that will need to be addressed in some way in a plan. And so we just hope that we can, you know, give a little guidance, a little leg up uh, yeah, in the workshop to make sure that everybody's comments are substantive enough to be to be listened to. Make, make the most out of all the comments that yeah, you get. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, so I had a couple questions. Um, the first one, what what are the are the main differences between what you guys are kind of proposing uh, and what you would like to see and what the Forest Service proposed? Are they mostly just like designations where it's like, uh, this is going to be wilderness versus, you know, just national forest. Or could you lay out like the Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of those are some of those um, designation things. I think one of the big things that uh, that sort of took us all by surprise is the super strong role uh, that timber has in in the draft plan, which is not shocking, because like I said, the Forest Service was founded to be sort of a timber warehouse. But they've opened up more lands for commercial timber harvest than even the last plan that was written in the 80s, which really? sort of surprising. Um, and some of the so, factors that go into that are, you know, um, wildfire mitigation and management. That's what I was going to ask. Like, that was kind of my second question, because that is a big thing now. I mean, I, I think For that's sure. something that we definitely have to keep an eye on with conservation, especially because, you know, especially with pine beetle, you just go everywhere. There's pine beetle kill. And I think there's a lot of people out there that think that forests have been largely mismanaged. And that's and they part have, of the reason why yeah. we're getting a lot of these giant wildfires now. For sure. And they have been mm -hmm. for a hundred years. I mean, sort of the hundred years of Smokey the Bear and, you know, forest fire suppression is the only way to manage forest fires. I think it's sort of the hubris that we have, right? Like we're the only people that understand how these systems work. We have utter control over nature. And so we do have a lot of forests that are, that are overgrown and haven't been allowed essentially to manage themselves. So there are definitely some problems that we've set up for ourselves. Yeah. But I think this is, again, the opportunity that we have, you know, as, as conservation advocates and, you know, in hopefully a new era of planning where, you know, climate change is real. Mm -hmm. Like, I oh, think yeah, that sure. anybody, anybody can feel that the lives that we're living now are very different than the stories that go back generations. Like, there are changes that are happening at a much more rapid pace. And I think that, you know, this kind of forest planning process is really, like I said, could set precedents as to how we want to manage lands moving forward. And so if what we're after is wildfire, you know, mitigation or prevention, let's call it that. Let's start managing based on that as opposed to commercial timber mm -hmm. sales, yeah. you know, like, and I, I understand that like finances are always difficult and like government agencies um, are not well funded. I yeah. mean, they're not fully staffed right now, mm -hmm. but I don't think that we can make up for years of sort of 
tightening the belt and like cutting staff and cutting capacity of our government agencies with timber sales. I mean, I think that that's something that's more appropriate to address in an appropriations bill than trying to say, well, like we have budget shortfalls and so we want to, we want to open things up. And so call a spade a spade, say that there are lands that you need to manage for fire management because some of those lands might not be the most commercially viable harvests, right? And so you might put a contract out to bid and nobody's going to want to take it. Yeah. So So your kind of, your issue is more just with people, you know, saying that something is for fire protection when you know, it, it, you well, you just want people to be you, you want the government agencies to be more upfront about I feel like we have doing. some pretty archaic mechanisms to justify the actions that happen mm-hmm. on the land, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think if if we need to have more flexibility and adaptability in managing our forests because we have a hundred years of you know somewhat mismanagement, then maybe we need to revise some of those mechanisms instead of just saying, well, the most appropriate fit here is to put it under tim- commercial timber sales. Yeah, just clear cut the whole thing and it'll all be good. No fire, yeah. Right. There, there's, you know. Uh, I think that and I we're think at a point now where we need to we need to do some different things is, in terms of fire management, for sure. For sure. And I have, a lot of, I have a lot of sympathy and a lot of empathy because there are so many amazing managers that work in our public land system. And I think there's, you know, there, there can be real true ecologists who work you know, in timber, you know, who go out and see the forest health and stand health, you know, and their paycheck happens to be signed by a timber company, but they need that ecological background to understand, you know, what's viable and what's not. But then you add that commercial element of like, oh, this is a sale that has to go up for bid. Mm. And I think that that undermines what we're trying to accomplish, you know, like if, if, if we need to manage a forest because it's on the brink, you know, of beetle kill or we have too much standing fuel load, then let's manage that as we need to manage it and not try to make it commercially viable. But maybe I'm off base. I mean, I work in nonprofits. Like, we're rarely commercially viable. All right, so Gmug. I assume people can find everything on both your website as well as I'm sure the National Forest Service has stuff on there. Uh, I know BHA has some information about it. So people want to learn more, um, we'll, we'll put a little link to both your guys' website and any other information we can find about it that's on the awesome. podcast. Yeah, so. that'd be great. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that's not the only thing that you guys got going there at WSCC. What other projects you got? You got anything big going on? Yeah, we have some other big things. We have a whole watershed program where we work um, on a lot of habitat restoration, um, riparian sort of restoration mitigation projects as some of the ditches get piped. Obviously, open water on the land is a really valuable um, resource to all of the animals. And so when you pipe a ditch, you lose some of that. And so we try to step up and help be a part of the solution and make sure that there's still water access to the animals on the land. Um, We also have just a gem of a green space park 
out in Paonia, where we're based, that used to be an in-stream gravel mine that over the years we've sort of added little bits and pieces and made it a really nice, open, public green space. So we got trails in there. We're going to be setting in an outdoor classroom out there this fall. Another one. Yeah. Yeah, we've added the river park. That's right. We've added an extra mile of trail that... um, comes right up next to the new K through eight elementary school out mm-hmm. there. So it's perfect access for an outdoor classroom. Yeah, that's awesome. Which is great. Um yeah, we also have I don't know if you've heard of this, but we have this raffle and this amazing company, Seek Outside, has might provided have heard a thing us about it. <laughs> might have heard a thing or two about it. Um has given us some really nice uh great gear. So we have the Red Cliff tent and stove set up and two of the two of these lanner 5400 5400s yeah these great backpacks that are all and you can talk about the gear side probably much better than i can but (laughs) we um have been bringing them out like last weekend was mountain harvest festival in paonia and folks were stoked and i mean you guys know the quality gear that you produce um but people are really excited about it and it's you know, we fleshed it out a little bit with some extra, you know, a couple camp chairs and a little table, mm-hmm. you know, that you can get it out any outdoor store. But the intention was to put together like a really great backcountry camp setup. It's pretty lightweight, easy to go. So just you and your feet can get out there and and have a good Make time out in the fall. Yeah. yeah. No, I thought uh, I was actually there at Mountain Harvest Festival as well. And we we spoke there, but thought about taking a video of all the all the little kids just crawling through and trying to do their best <laughs> to yeah. ruin the red cliff there thought about <laughs> man that's a great durability video right there if it can withstand four-year-olds at a summer concert festival they're, they're pretty durable a whole weekend of four-year-olds yeah <laughs> yeah and the tent is still in bomber shape so yeah um yeah but so this as it applies to to everybody um, that maybe listen to this podcast. If you want a chance to win, uh, I think it's like what, like twenty eight hundred dollars worth of gear. Yeah. I, you know, we got there's two uh, Lanner fifty four hundred breakaway packs. There's the Red Cliff, a couple camp chairs. Um, you know, the the table, all super great. You know, you can take it backpacking, you take it car camping, hunting, day trips, whatever you want. They're they're great packs, great great tent. Um, Everybody can enter this raffle, correct? Yeah, everybody everybody and anybody can enter the raffle except our board members and our staff. Mm, okay. So if we're selling tickets, we can't buy the tickets. Makes sense. Which makes conflict a lot of sense. Of yeah, yeah, total conflict of interest because, man, if I could enter the raffle, I sure would. It's, yeah. it's a super great set of gear. And you can buy tickets. We'll be tabling all around sort of the greater North Fork Valley area for the next month. And the drawing will be held on October 30th at Ciderfest, which is sort of a big end-of-season party out at Big B's Delicious Orchards. So oh, if yeah. You're local, I'll be there. Yeah, come on down. Um, but good news, if you're not local, if you're just like, oh, man, I love going out to Colorado and we take our yearly hunting trip out there or something, you can hop on our website and anybody and everybody can buy a ticket. Nice. Yeah. Just go to western slope conservation it's just western slope conservation.org right that's right yeah. yeah you got it and i i was checking the website out you'll see all the information for the fall 2021 raffle if you get on there um 
yeah, that's that's awesome. And for anybody that you know, even if you're not looking for the gear, I mean, like what we were talking about earlier, just supporting local conservation efforts, I think is, you know, it's awesome if you're, you know, giving a hundred bucks a year to BHA and these other groups, but you know, small organizations like yours are, are just as important in the grand scheme of things, getting these little pieces of land, you know, it's a big piece of land here in Colorado, but nationwide, it's something small. It's, it's super key to have, you know, organize organizations like you guys that are locked in, making it happen, keeping these places wild. So your $20 is not going to be going to waste or, I mean, if heck, if you want to buy five tickets, buy five tickets. Yeah. And if you buy five tickets, you might as well buy six because exactly. if you buy six, they're the price of five. So you get an extra ticket thrown in oh, for free. Nice. Little, nice. Yeah. But there. yeah. And I agree. Like there are lots of amazing grassroots conservation groups um, out there. No matter where you are, there's one in your backyard. So buy a raffle ticket donate on the side to Western Slope Conservation Center. We won't say no to any of that, but also I'm sure there is a group in your area that would love to have your support. And so support the places that you recreate in, support the places that you go and that you visit, but also please support all the local nonprofits in your own area that are working to make sure that your area has the highest the highest quality of lands that we can that we can have at this point. Like we've we've left a pretty big impact on mm-hmm. a lot of the lands around. But there's a lot that can be done through restoration, and there's a lot that can just be done through education and awareness. So, yeah, support support us, but support whoever is in your backyard as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think it's especially big just in places that you still do have that are very wild. I mean, because I go up on the Uncompagre Plateau right over here. You know, it's 30 minutes on a bad day. Uh, to get up there and you know there's a road that runs down the whole center of the thing um which is you know kind of a bummer uh that there is a road there but it's also like you know you walk 15 minutes off the road and you're still in just like this pristine wilderness habitat that you know i'm i'm sure there's certain steps that you're taking there that nobody has ever taken before, you know, just animals or critters or whatever, especially if you get into that, some of that thick oak brush, not many people want to get up there. Um, but yeah, I think it's, you know, it's very important to just keep the, the wild places wild that we have right now. And that's part of that, that big, uh, 30 by 30 initiative that's, that's going on right now. Um, are you guys, uh, are there any other plans of, places around here any other forest service plans coming up in the next five six years that are going to be big big projects and actually before you answer that i was going to ask you earlier what like how long does it take what's typically the timetable um in between like one of these when one of these uh proposals is made like the gmug proposal to when it's actually enforced and enacted i think there's supposed the to last for 10 to 15 years before they get revised and there's a new planning process. But we're over 30 years into the forest plan for the GMUG right now. And that'll happen. Things get backed up in the government. And I mean that, you know, there's all the sort of best of intentions and on paper things seem to be, you know, highly functional, but oftentimes there is a backup because there's a capacity mismatch. And, you know, 
lock in to this GMUG planning process. Like, let us help you get the most substantive comments there are out there. You know, call us at the office, talk to us. There might be things that we're advocating for that aren't up your alley, but I'm sure there are going to be some things, you know, if you're a conservationist, if you want to see, you know, functional ecosystems, there's going to be things that we're advocating for that your voice could really help us with. Um, but also, like, you know, advocate for better appropriations, better funding for our public lands. We in the conservation community in the last 10 years have seen some really strong forward steps in that, you know, previously in a lot of the huge economic indicators, outdoor recreation wasn't even considered, you know, a category. So it was hard to track the impact that people who value our public lands have in the economy. It mm-hmm. was just lumped in with other commercial stuff. And really? so in the last, you know, in the last decade, a lot of people have sort of siphoned that out and have it you know, as a standalone category in their economic analysis. And I think that that's really important because you can't sell gear if there's nowhere to use the gear, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I think there's a greater understanding. And, you know, a lot of states, especially out west, shocking, where we have more of the open lands, are starting to have, you know, outdoor recreation offices at the state level mm-hmm. or, you know, under under a branch of the governor's office or something like that. And I think that that's also a huge step forward. Um, but I think advocating for better funding, you know, just for, for the Forest Service, for the BLM, for the Park Service is important. Yeah. Like we, there are more and more people on public lands than there ever have been. There's more and more people in the world than there ever have been. So part I mean, it, it's yeah. sort of part of it. But I think also... And I think especially during the pandemic, like a lot of people turned to the outdoors for solace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people have been returning from active military service for my entire adult lifetime now. And yeah. a lot of those have found, you know, something soothing in the calm and the open spaces that our public lands can provide. And I think that's something really special that we have out here in the West that we take for granted because we don't. You know, we haven't lived with sort of more encroached on backyards oh, yeah. as in other places. And so I think, you know, continuing to advocate for large forests, for large parks, for, you know, large BLM units is helpful. But we also need the staff to manage that. Lord knows there's a lot of people that are coming up, you know, through the education system who would love to be land managers. But there aren't the opportunities there mm. because... There's not the funding at the government level for them to have the jobs that they would ideally like to have. Mm. And so, you know, I think it's good to plug into these, you know, mandated processes and they make a huge difference. But I think it's also good to think a little bit outside the box and like what is not a part of a mandated process? Like what can we be asking our representatives for? How do we want them to speak for us? And what words and what actions will make the most difference? And I think advocating for better funding, you know, for our public lands is like really important. Oh yeah. I mean, money talks and just as in every industry and I know my brother, my brother's girlfriend, they're both my brother's girlfriend Megan, she works for the Fish and Wildlife Department yeah. and my brother, he does kind of contract work for, you know, different universities here and there. But I mean, it's the same kind of thing. They they run into like 
it's one of those industries where it's like so cool to get into. Like if you can study, you know, birds or, or study grizzly bears or whatever. But I think a lot of people are shied away from it because there's not a lot of funding. And, you know, frankly, there's, there's not that many jobs out there. There's not a lot of jobs. Yeah. And I mean, especially with how important it's going to be here. I think, I think the natural world has battle, but going to be coming up here and then you know just with population explosion and and you know just just the way things are nowadays with uh cars and technology just blowing up uh we're gonna need we're we're gonna have to put our feet down um so i think every every spare dollar or it doesn't even have to be dollars you know it can be just going out and volunteering and cleaning out up uh public land so that the next person can enjoy it and and be like oh yeah this is special this is pristine um but i think everything counts especially nowadays so um uh definitely really appreciate what what you guys are doing over there and just anybody that's in the conservation realm we very much appreciate it um yeah and we appreciate you know seek outside being a small local company that is just making super high quality gear you know stuff that isn't gonna be left at a campsite right like this is gear that you'll buy once in your lifetime and you'll have Mm -hmm. for your lifetime and i think that that's also a way to sort of live live your ethics you know like we all know from elementary school the reduce reuse recycle and i think we've all fixated on this recycling thing but you can reduce your impact by buying something of quality once Mm -hmm. And loving it and sticking with it and having it be super functional. And that's something that not that has become more and more rare. You yeah. know, quality gear is, is more difficult to find these days. There's lots of throwaway kind of gear that'll last one big trip or, you know, a couple big trips or will fall apart after like a huge rainstorm or something. Yeah. But your gear isn't going to do that. So thanks for, you know, making quality gear and showing people, giving people a way to walk that path course that's what that's what we love and i think it's something that that comes from just growing up in this area and and loving the mountains and the rivers so much you know you just kind of have to do it you gotta gotta do what you gotta do to to keep this whole culture surviving yeah we're Um, all in it together exactly exactly well tanya uh did did you have anything else uh that you wanted to chat about today or no, buy raffle tickets, like buy get involved tickets. in the yeah. GMUG forest process, like enjoy the fall. Like it's really, the weather's turned, it's oh, cold in the morning, it's it's great. Yeah. It's getting pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, you got any big fall trips coming? You going to do any camping or anything like that? I hope to. I don't have any, yeah. don't have any plans to be outside of the North Fork, so I'm pretty excited to nest in and get out and see the mountains a little bit. It's pretty cool, pretty cool spot that... The North Fork is. Yeah. It's a pretty special spot. Well, Tanya, thank you very much. And um, we, like I said, thank you so much for being on. And hopefully uh, some people learn some good stuff about GMUG, but also local conservation. And people, go buy those raffle tickets. They are not going to waste, even if you don't win. Yep. So thank awesome. you, guys. Thanks. Have a great week. See ya.